You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast. Hey guys, my name is Matt Langston. I am a music producer, a mix engineer, and an avid unicorn enthusiast. And I would like to invite you over to my podcast, Eleven D Life. On Eleven D Life, we get to talk to your favorite artists, producers, and creators about what makes them tick. We take deep dives into where they get their juiciest inspirations from and how they keep from being cynical about all of it. We even get to pull back the curtain on my band, Eleven D Seven, and share some fun insider tips and tricks for our fellow. Bandmates and creators out there. So be sure to check out Eleven D Life right here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network and wherever you get your favorite shows. This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. In this episode, I speak once again with Joseph Laycock, author of Speak of the Devil, How the Satanic Temple is Changing the Way We Talk About Religion. Joseph Laycock is a religious studies professor. He studies fringe religious movements. And in this episode, we talk about the cultural perception of the Satanic Temple, how the Satanic Temple is changing our broader culture, how it's changing the way we understand religion and the way it is challenging the legal system to include minority religions. We also talk about how the Satanic Temple differs from Pastafarianism and how it is situated within the broader religious culture in America. But before we get to that, I have to thank my patrons. My patrons are my personal lords and saviors. I really could not do this without them. Podcasting and blogging is incredibly hard work, and I believe in what I'm doing. I believe in bringing it to you for free. But in order to do that, I have to have financial support. So for this week, I have to thank my latest patrons, Angie, Lyra, and Jano. Thank you so much. I truly could not do this without you. And if anyone is listening right now and wants to join their number, there is a link in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long for a dollar, three dollars, five dollars a month, the price of a coffee at Starbucks. You get extra content every single week as well as access to me as a creator and access to the patron-only channels on my Discord server. Now, the economy is on fire right now, and if you are struggling financially, don't worry, I completely understand. There are many other ways that you can support the show. One of the best ways is to just subscribe wherever you are listening. Whatever app you're on, just subscribe to it. That tells our digital overlords that the show is worth recommending to others. And if you are on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. Reviews bolster the algorithm even more, letting our algorithmic overlords know to share it with others. So for this episode, I will 
read. So for this episode, I will read. God damn it. What? My brain is just not working. <laughs> okay. So for this episode, I will read a five-star review. I keep waiting for the one-star reviews, but they just haven't come yet. But if I do get one, I will read one of those as well. This review is from Gino Devereaux. I'm so sorry. I probably butchered your name. They say, cream of the proverbial crop. Stephen Bradford Long is a once-in-a-generation type of person. Somehow, even though we have never met, he has been the guiding light of my burgeoning Satanism and a friendly presence throughout quarantine. Stephen has been there at every step and turn, answering questions I did not know I had and discussing topics I've never been able to discuss with anyone else. Sacred Tension has been an enlightening and unfailing beacon as I have navigated the dissolution of my Catholicism and belief in God my familial entanglement, and my recent journey into the satanic community. Stephen speaks to listeners rather than talking at them. I find myself chortling or verbally responding during podcast episodes, completely forgetting he and his guests are not actually in the room with me. Sacred Tension is an irreverently reverent space, which I absolutely revere. I wish the very best to Stephen and all the Sacred Tension guests. Hail Satan. That is an incredibly kind and sweet review. I so appreciate it. Unbelievably kind words. And please, if you have a moment, do go write a review. It really, really helps bring this show to more people. Also, I really have to thank my intern Dante, aka Llama Boy. He has been editing a great number of these shows now. In fact, he is in the room with me while I'm recording this. Say hello, Dante. There he is. So if you like what you're hearing on the show lately, a lot of that is Dante. So special thanks to Dante. Also, most of the conversation for my show and blog take place on my Discord server. There will be a link in the show notes. I invite you to come join the conversation there. Let's take the conversation off of big bullshit social media like Twitter and Facebook. Let's get rid of that and move on to Discord and other smaller platforms. Finally, I have to thank my sponsor, thesatanictemple.tv. It is a streaming platform by and for Satanists or the Satanic adjacent. It features rituals, live streams, talk shows, movie nights with the founder of the Satanic Temple, Lucian Greaves, and all kinds of feature-length films and documentaries. It is a fantastic library for anyone interested in the occult or new religious movements or ritual and with my promo code you get one month free my promo code is sacred tension all caps no space use that at checkout and you will get one month free all right well with all of that finally out of the way i'm delighted to bring you my conversation with joseph laycock joseph laycock welcome back to the show it's great to be back. So you wrote a fantastic book, which came out last year, called Speak of the Devil. Uh, was it last year or was it at the end of 2019? I can't remember. Um, that was, uh, I think, February 2020. Okay, yes, that's right. Because I got it. I read it. I, I think, shot you an email saying that I wanted to have you on the show again to talk about it. And then the fucking apocalypse broke out and my life was just truly literally ruined for several months because I managed a grocery store. So <laughs> it was it was really bad and uh, completely forgot until 
2021 that I had intended to have you on the show and that I really needed to follow up with you because your book, Speak of the Devil, is really, really fantastic. For people who might not know who you are and what you do, tell us some about that. I am an associate professor of religious studies at Texas State University. Uh, I am co-editor for the journal Nova Religio, which covers new religious movements, which is, you know, a... a any group that's been labeled a cult, basically, by the media or popular culture, whether it's good or bad, uh, falls under the purview of, uh, of new religious movements. Uh, and I've written uh, a number of, of books on kind of misunderstood religious subcultures. That's kind of my, my thing as a, as a researcher. Hmm. So what got you, it, well, to back up, Speak of the Devil, subtitle, How the Satanic Temple is Changing the Way We Talk About Religion. I'm a member of the Satanic Temple. I've been really involved, mostly online, of, with that community for about three or four years now. So you, as a religious scholar, are kind of coming in to in this book to study the Satanic Temple and to kind of give a history of it. What got you interested in the Satanic Temple? I think like a lot of people, I first learned about the Satanic Temple when they offered to build a Baphomet statue for the state of, of Oklahoma. Um, I think that was when a lot of people noticed that. And at the time, I was writing a lot for an online magazine called Religion Dispatches. And, you know, they they loved um, you know, everybody, all of the media, left, right and center, knows that the Satanic Temple makes good copy. Um, yes. Even if people don't understand it, they will click on a headline that has a picture of a Baphomet statue or says Satanist on it or, 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 or something like that. So initially, I wanted to just kind of find out, is this Lucian Grease guy serious about this? Is this like the Pastafarians, where it's some sort of uh, elaborate um, uh, trolling campaign or something? Um, and I'm also interested in the Satanic Temple because uh, the First Amendment of the Constitution um, offers great freedoms to those things designated as a religion and restricts uh, government association with those things designated as a religion. It never defines what a religion is. And I'm always trying to get my students to think more seriously um, about how much power has been invested in this extremely slippery uh, uh, concept. And I saw that the Satanic Temple was a group that uh, understood that. I understood that this category of religion is, mm. is loaded with all this political uh, uh, freight. Uh, so I, I interviewed Lucian Greaves for a story on that. And then my editor at Religion Dispatches, every time the Satanic Temple did something, kept saying, you know, go go get the story, right? Go, go write <laughs> so something you were, on this. So you were on the TST beat. That became your beat, in other words. Exactly. And then, you know, it got to be at the end of the year, he would, you know, we would do these, uh, these uh, year in review articles. And a couple years, the, the editor would say, write a write a year in Satanism article. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so but but eventually, after covering a satanic temple for years, I still kept encountering people, you know, who not only had no idea what it was, but but thought that they knew everything that there was to know about it and actually knew uh, uh, very little. And I call this ignorant familiarity uh, in, in the book. It's a term coined by David Feltmate. And, and so that that frustrated me. So I wanted to do the book for a number of reasons. One, I kept having students who wanted to do research papers on the Satanic Temple, and there was basically no peer-reviewed literature on this group. There are a couple of very long 
histories of Satanism and the Satanic Temple gets a page or two at the very end of the book. I wanted to create a baseline for kind of the history uh, of this group. And as I say in the book, this is not the last word on the Satanic Temple. And, you know, other people may, you know, v- view its origins and history in a slightly different way. But I wanted to begin that conversation. And then the third thing is I really wanted to show why I think the Satanic Temple matters. And it is because they are forcing the public and forcing the courts to really think about this question of what is a religion. And I think this is something that most Americans have never thought about and to a certain extent are kind of encouraged not to think about. Um, There is a lot of power invested in making sure that no one thinks too hard about what a religion is because that's going to privilege certain groups and, and um, disadvantage others. Mm, so I guess my follow-up question with that, actually, actually too, you as a religious scholar, do you, one, see TST as a quote-unquote real religion, and then two, what makes a real religion? Like, do you have a definition of religion that you work from? Yeah, so you know, religion is a second-order category, and what I mean by that, well, first of all, it's a category of things. It's not a thing unto itself, and, and we're used to talking about religion as if it's something that exists out there in the world, but of course it isn't. You can't practice, you know, no religion in particular. There aren't churches of religion, right? Mm. There are Christian churches and, and mosques and so forth. So it's a category. It's not even that old a category. Mm-hmm. Um, if you read, you know, accounts of the Crusades, the Crusaders don't say this is a war of religion. They're practicing the wrong religion. They just say we fought the heathens, right? There's no, there's no idea that you know there's this overarching category and Christianity is a religion and Islam is a religion or heathenism is a religion. It's just these people are are not like us and we have to go uh, uh, fight them. So this word religion doesn't really appear until about the 16th century when you have two things. You have Protestants and and Catholics fighting each other for the first time in Europe. And there's a sort of a a choice, really, for the first time for many Europeans between these two churches. And Europeans are going around the world and they're encountering other cultures. So that's um, that's where this category begins. But even then, it hasn't always meant the same thing. So, for example, in Christopher Columbus's diaries, he says the people of the Americas have no religion. So he had that category, but he didn't recognize what they were viewing as religion. So, so this is all to say religion is a made-up concept. So to some extent, one definition is as good as another, as long as you are being honest uh, about that and you're being consistent and fair um, uh, with that. Um, so in the book, I argue that the Satanic Temple is as much a religion as anything else. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're defining religion by belief in supernatural beings, which is one of the oldest definitions in anthropology, it goes back to someone named E.B. Tyler, then TST isn't a religion, Hmm. right? Um, However, um, there are lots of things that we normally recognize as religions that that don't uh, believe in supernatural beings, or that's not really, it's just not what the religion is about. So there are many Jews who would say, you know, um, you you can be Jewish and not believe in God, right? It's about practice, it's about tradition. Or there are Buddhists who would say, you know, you can, you know, practice the eightfold path and 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 become enlightened, uh, and you don't need to believe in God. Or or some Buddhists would even say anything, right? Some Buddhists would say this is a a, a show me uh, a religion. So mm-hmm. if we're not going to say that Buddhism isn't a real religion, or certain forms of Judaism are not a real religion, we can't really say that TST is not a r- real religion. So in the in the book, I use um, a model called the Four C's, uh, which was developed by uh, a scholar named Catherine Albanessa, and it's it's a little bit like the old you might be a redneck 
uh, monologue <laughs> by Jeff Foxworth. Right? You know, if you get together in a building, you know, once a week to talk about your values, you know, you might be a, a religion. Um, but she has this checklist called the four C's, and these are code, creed, community, and cultus. Mm. Um, so code are, are codes of behavior, creed are beliefs. And I argue in the book that the seven tenets of the Satanic Temple have both these things, right? They say things like, if, if you offend people, you should apologize. Well, that's a code of behavior. And, or, and before we move on, just for people who might be new to this subject, let me quickly read the seven tenets just so people know what we're talking about. One should strive to act with compassion and empathy towards all creatures in accordance with reason. The struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. One's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. The freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend. To willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another is to forgo your own. Beliefs should conform to our best scientific understanding of the world. We should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit our beliefs. People are fallible. If we make a mistake, we should do our best to rectify it and resolve any harm that may have been caused. Every tenet is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and thought. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or, sp- or spoken word. Do continue. <laughs> yeah, so, so I think that if we're thinking in terms of codes of behavior and, and creeds, we find both of those in the seven tenets. So things like hmm. if you make a mistake, you should try to rectify it. That's a code of behavior. That's saying go and do this. Um, on the other hand, you know, tenets about um, the pursuit of justice is ongoing. Well, I think you either believe that or you don't. Yeah. Right. I mean, if, if I were going to be, you know, kind of a nasty person and just say, I think justice is nonsense. I think we should pursue injustice. Prove to me that justice is is a worthwhile pursuit. I mean, you can't really prove that scientifically you just either accept it or, or, or you don't you you can't um, put it under a microscope yeah exactly it, it's it's philosophical and and a matter of belief it you, it isn't something that you can empirically defend that's that's right and, and so there is i think um a kind of transcendent ideal there not supernatural mm-hmm. um but believing in something that kind of exists beyond what we can study uh empirically um, so that's two of the C's. Uh, the Satanic Temple is a community. I think a lot of people don't understand that. I think they, yes. if you only read, if you only read, um, you know, news articles about kind of these big provocations that the Satanic Temple does, you might think, well, this group only meets online and they only get together to troll people or make, you know, satanic Christmas displays and so forth. They don't understand that the Satanic Temple chapters are, you know, having book clubs and barbecues and picnics and. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. raising their children and so forth. And then the fourth C is cultus, and cultus simply means ritual, you know, community ritual. And the Satanic Temple does that as as well. And they some of those rituals are public and and people are allowed to kind of know about them. But a lot of those rituals, of course, are done in, in private and the public is not um, invited. So if you have those four things, Catherine Albanessa would say that's as much a religion as anything else. Hmm. And I think that's the best way to understand what is religious uh, about the Satanic Temple, and of course, the IRS has given uh, the Satanic Temple the status of a, of a church for tax purposes. So, is there a sense here in which a lot of things could be categorized as religion that maybe Western American culture wouldn't accept? Like, you know, I I don't know. I I think of like to bring up a really toxic cult, Nexium, for example. It, that was like a self help business oriented thing, but it also had 
the the four C's. And as part of the conversation around TST, actually about expanding or widening our definition of religion, our understanding what can and can't qualify as a religion. Like maybe our scope of what religion even is, is far too narrow in kind of our Protestant Christian West. Yeah, so religion is, it's a category, it's a box. Your definition of religion affects basically how big the box is and what can go in the box. Um, So if your definition is broad enough, then pretty much literally anything can be a religion. Yeah, exactly. So, so at what point does it become too broad? Like, like at what point does the, does the definition become so broad that it includes, you know, football fans? Well, and a lot of, uh, there are, there are lots of people in religious studies who would say foot American football is a religion, Mm. right? I mean, it, it serves many of the functions of religion as far as rich as having tribal totems, uh-huh. right? this yes, is exactly, people, uh, and, and and so forth. Um, but but your critique is well taken, and there was an article by a, a scholar named Kevin Shilbrock called "Well, What Isn't a Religion?" and it was making exactly that point. You know, it's say, you know, my my homeowners association won't let me put a pink flamingo on my lawn. Well, that's a shared set of codes. So is the homeowners association (laughs) religion. And this is a real problem for people who purport to study uh, religion. And it's not a problem that has been solved. So there are kind of two main uh, strategies for defining religion. One is the substantive definition, which is which is basically religion is about belief in God or belief in the supernatural. And that tends to exclude too much. And then the other main approach is functional definitions of let's look at what religion actually does and functional approaches tend to include too much Hmm. right um and and so i think most scholars would say you know you need to think about what you're trying to do when you think of uh, a definition you need a definition that makes sense for that particular task so the, the conversation that tst wants to have is what kinds of institutions need to be separated from the government? Hmm. And then what kinds of institutions deserve special protections you know, under the First Amendment? So they're really, really asking us to rethink, does the First Amendment really mean that you get special rights and privileges if you believe in something for which there is no proof? Right. Because if you're if you're saying religion is only about the supernatural, that's kind of what you're saying. Right. It's only if you have no evidence for what you're talking about, do you get these special bonuses from the government? And so TSC has kind of forced people to, to think, is that is that really what you think this this ought to mean? Is that really the best way of thinking about what religion is or what religious freedom means? Mm, and with, you know, with with religion being given kind of an elevated position in America than for, say, non-theists or people who don't believe in some kind of supernatural, are they willfully relegating themselves to kind of a second class status or a status with less autonomy and power by not taking on the term of religion? And I see TST kind of tackling that as well, where... I've seen the I've seen some people in TST kind of push back against um, giving just giving that that privilege of religion just to people who they see as believing irrational things. That's that's right. And there's there are similar movements 
who have just said, well, uh, or, or, or mo uh, movements who make provocations similar to TSTs who actually say, I don't think that there really should be religious freedom. I don't think that there should be accommodations for religions. Um, an example of that, there was this case in Austria with a, a pastafarian, right, someone into the flying spaghetti monster uh, phenomenon. And he was upset that you cannot wear a, a head covering a hat when you take your driver's license photo, unless you have a religious exemption. So Muslim women, for example, can wear their hijab um, at, the, at the DMV. And, and he felt that this was not fair, that everyone should fall under the same rules. And so he said, I have to wear a pasta strainer on my head because I'm a pastafarian in my driver's license photo. <laughs> and it, if you read his journal on this, he was pretty clear that my end goal here is not to take a picture with a pasta strainer on my head. My end goal is to create a situation where making accommodations to different religions is untenable, right? right because there's right. too many demands. And so we just won't do them anymore. TST is not doing that. And I, you know, Lucian Green, has, has stated that he thinks that there should be some form of accommodations based on sincerely held religious beliefs. And I think he, he, he means that. Hmm. But, um, you know, uh, there was a very famous essay by a scholar named Jay-Z Smith about the Supreme Court. Um, and, and what he said was basically, you know, the Supreme Court doesn't have a definition of religion, but their prototype of a religion is a Protestant church. And the more that you resemble a Protestant church, the more likely you are to get these special rights and privileges. And conversely, the less you resemble one, the less likely you are to, to, to be granted those things. And this is a problem. And, and so I find TST interesting because they are kind of forcing our legal system to think about that a bit, a bit harder. Yeah, definitely. And just because you brought it up, Pastafarianism versus the Satanic Temple. In what so I I hear this comparison all the time where people who and I don't I'm not offended at it because, you know, it it judging by the coverage that TST gets, it's a comparison that makes sense. Why do you so in your book, I think you have a section where you compare TST to Pastafarianism and why aren't they similar? How are they similar and how aren't they similar? Right. So, I mean, one thing I just want to be clear about is uh, the study of religion is mostly just comparing different things to each other and mm -hmm. seeing what, what shakes out. <laughs> and, and if this is your religion that I'm, I'm working on, um, you don't want to be compared to anything, right? Right. <laughs> you don't want to be compared to some other group. And I want to be really clear that there's a difference between comparing and looking for similarities and differences and um, equating. Right. So so by setting up that comparison, I am not saying that these two groups are doing the same thing. I think that, you know, Pastafarian has been called a satire religion. Yeah. Um, and of course, it was created for uh, challenging this ruling about intelligent design, I believe, in the state of Kansas. Right. And uh, the Kansas school board said, well, half the biology class will be for evolution and half will be for intelligent design. And again, it was a move to kind of try to make that untenable. So. Um, the, the, this, uh, I think it's Bobby Henderson is the, the founder, uh, says, well, I believe the world was created by a spaghetti monster. So biology class should be one third intelligent design, one third spaghetti monsterism and one third <laughs> logical deductions based on observable phenomena. <laughs> right? and, and that was kind of his point. The New York times published it and it, it got really big. So I, I, I think again, he was, he was similar to TST in that he was trying to force a comparison. Right. You know, trying to really get people to think about, you know, is what you're doing anything any less silly or any more worthy of special treatment than this myth I made up about uh, a flying uh, spaghetti monster? Where I think it's different is, you know, I, I don't see a lot of evidence that the flying spaghetti monster, the Pastafarians actually believe any of this stuff. Mm hmm. 
right? And, and, I, and I'll have students do papers on that, and I will caution them if they are start saying, well, they believe that the world was created by a spaghetti monster. Well, they don't believe that, right? Or I don't believe that they believe that, right? <laughs> Whereas the Satanic Temple, um, they pretty much say what they believe, and they believe what they say. Um, so, so it's quite different, right? I mean, I think that um, of course, the, the, most members of TST don't believe in the supernatural or in, a little, or in a literal Satan, but they would say, you know, the story of the, kind of the Miltonian Satan is an inspiring story. It is a story that should be taken seriously, but not literally, whereas the Pastafarian myth is r- intentionally ridiculous. It's intentionally uh, uh, silly, and that's a, that's a pretty important difference if you're trying to think about what these two groups are all about. Yeah, I've always bucked against the comparison and nothing against the flying spaghetti monster, like nothing against Pastafarians. Like I think that they serve kind of a really important place and are really interesting and do good things. And so this isn't me bashing them at all, but I've always really kind of struggled and resented the comparison because the number of people who come to me and say, oh, you're just like a Pastafarian. I'm like, no, there's nothing, there is truly nothing ironic or satirical about my Satanism. I don't see it as ironic at all. I don't see it as satirical at all. This is, this goes deep, you know, like this, I'm a Satanist, even if, even if I'm at home playing video games with my cats, like that, that doesn't change. And that's one of those things that just comes up all the time. And I don't know. Just listening to you talk, one of the things that I'm curious about your perspective as as an outsider who cavorts with Satanists on a regular basis, why has TST been so successful in furthering this public discourse? Why? What is it about TST that makes it so sticky as a topic of conversation? And of course, part of it is Baphomet. You know, of course, like that 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 statue is just looks beautiful and is great to plaster on magazines. Like that's part of it. Satanism catches the eye, but I feel like there have been a lot of humanist groups who ha- and atheist groups who have tried to do things similar to TST, of um, you know, opening up a conversation about freedom of religion, freedom from religion what is religion, you know, just all of that stuff. But I feel like TST is succeeding in a way that they haven't. Uh, and I can't give any specific examples of that right now, but it's just it's just my intuition. Do you think that's true? And, and if so, why? What is it about TST? Well, I think there's a, there's a couple different reasons. I mean, one that you mentioned is TST does have style. I think that's a, that's a minor reason, but you know, Lucian Greaves and, you know, Jex Blackmore, before she left TST, they had this kind of rock star quality. Yes, yes. And I meet people all the time who only know a little bit about TST, but they're like, oh, they are just so cool. You know? <laughs> like, I, I want to be like those people. Or if you watch the CNN uh, bit where Jex Blackmore is riding her motorcycle through Detroit, you know, um, Richard Dawkins can't ride a motorcycle through Detroit and, and inspire people. True. Uh, I would not be, ins- I would not be inspired. <laughs> by that. Right. <laughs> uh, so, so that's one thing. The second thing is, you know, the, the millennials are famously uh, drifting away from traditional religion. Um, sociologists call this the rise of the nuns, the N-O-N-E, people who have no religion. And uh, TST is the kind of thing um, that can fill that gap for some of them. So for example, if they want 
a community, but they feel alienated from maybe the values of the Christian church that they grew up in. Or I think for a lot of millennials would just say, I don't believe in God and I can't keep yeah. going to this church. I like Maybe I like the church, but I don't believe in God and I don't feel like this is this is tenable. But I think the most important reason, and I talk about this in the book, is there is, um, you know, Steve Prothero, who was my teacher at Boston University, um, has a kind of theory of history or theory of the history of culture wars in America where the, the, the right strikes out and the left strikes back. And uh, I think that one of the factors of the era of Trump, um, which we're at least closing one chapter of the era of Trump now, is Hail a realization. Satan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, th- I think a lot of people voted for Trump and, and started getting on this alt-right bandwagon in part because uh, America's demographics are changing. We're very rapidly changing from a predominantly... A white Christian country um, to a much more diverse ethnically and religiously uh, country. And some people don't like that. And I think that that led to the rise of Trump, but it also led to trying to make, trying to give Christianity the same level of power it had using the governments, right? So all these Ten Commandments monuments, there weren't Ten Commandments monuments in the 50s, Right. There's this kind of imagined, you know, when people say make America great again, I don't know what period they're talking about when that we're trying to get back to. But this is all new. You know, the state of Mississippi a couple years ago made the Bible their official book of the state. Well, why does the government need to enact new laws to make Christianity accepted in Mississippi? Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so, so it's, they're only doing this because they suddenly feel like, wait a second, what if there's other groups out there that are not Christian that actually are real Americans, right? This is, this is always a fight about who's a real American. So I see TST as being a response to, to that kind of movement, a response to Ten Commandments monuments going up, putting intelligent design in, in schools. And I think it's very telling that the day after Trump won the election in 2016, uh, the Tank Temple reported just being inundated with donations and with people saying, I want to join TST, how can I help? Uh, There was a very famous article that made the rounds after Ruth Bader Ginsburg died from an attorney saying, that's it, I'm joining TST now. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) I saw that, yeah. Yeah, and so I think that, you know, that we we are in this culture war, and I think some people are sort of looking for, you know, the, the arsenal to wage this culture war or to push back against a culture war and and they see TST providing that. I also just have to say, Rise of the Nuns sounds like a badass John Carpenter movie. <laughs> <laughs> like nuns with machine guns. That's what I'm picturing. And like a desolate city hellscape as a backdrop. Anyway, is there also the possibility? I don't know. The way so what drew me to TST, and this is something that I've been thinking about and that I would like to get your perspective on. What drew me to TST was primarily the religious aspect, where it's like I was a non-theist, but I I perceived myself as a deep yearning, as having a deep yearning for religion. And so, you know, it's like well past my conversion, I was still going to, or well past my deconversion, my deconstruction of faith, I was still going to an Episcopal church. I was still, you know, praying the Book of Common Prayer, even though I didn't believe it, but just because I felt like it provided me a scaffold that was really helpful for me. But then I started to feel, you know, little by little as I was, you know, praying the daily office in the Book of Common Prayer, I started to feel more and more unglued from it. 
as time went on, where it's like little by little, those words stopped having that big significance to me. The prayers stopped meaning what they used to. And that's when I really transitioned to TST because I saw TST providing symbol and structure in a way that, uh, say, progressive humanism just didn't or or just garden variety atheism didn't. And I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think a lot of it just comes down to religion is just fun. Like, not, not fun in a I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but truly just fun as in fulfilling. It, it, it has symbol, it has color, it has community, it has a language, it has rituals, it gives us ways to embody ourselves. And I wonder, part of me wonders if one of the ways in which TST has succeeded where maybe other humanist groups have been less successful is that there's symbol. It has symbol. It has ritual. And and that's what drew me to it. And is there a sense in which, you you know, millennials and Zoomers and so on who are being disaffected from religion, they might still have that deep, some and not everyone, of course, but people like me have that deep need for kind of embodiment and symbol, but couldn't find it in a theistic place and couldn't find it in the in a humanist space. And so they go to something like TST or witchcraft or paganism. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And of course, in, in religious studies, you know, a lot of scholars believe that humans are basically hardwired for religion, right? Mm. That we need, uh, you know, I had this uh, old uh, professor of the sociology of religion. He would, he would always talk about beavers, right? And he would say, beavers <laughs> are born just knowing what to do. You know, you get a yeah. baby beaver and you give it a piece of wood, it just starts making a dam. The humans aren't like that. You know, humans need something to tell us what to do, right? Or, or what what the point of all this is, whether you're religious or or, or not. We need some kind of uh, order because we're not we're not born with order. It has to be given to us. And traditionally, those those things we call religion have kind of provided uh, uh, that order, and that includes things like a shared set of symbols and and traditions and myths myths, not in the sense of intellectual propositions that we think are true, like the earth is 6,000 years old, but myths in terms of stories that inspire us, right? Mm. That, that shape our, our values and help us to kind of locate ourselves uh, uh, in the world. Uh, and so Lucian Greaves has been pretty clear from the beginning that TST is, 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 does not believe in the supernatural. They do not hold things like demons and, and angels to be intellectual propositions to be proved or disproved, but that people need stories and myths and, and rituals and that they have found a way to, to, to provide that. He has a really great essay in an intro to the uh, a reprint of the Clive Barker novella, Lord of Illusions. And everyone needs to read Clive Barker, by the way. He's my favorite author. <laughs> yeah. But so, so Lord of Illusions is about this magician who is a pact with, with demons and can actually do magic. Um, but to kind of spite the demons, he's doing real magic and telling everybody it's, it's an illusion. And, uh, it's illusion Greaves kind of riffs on this and, and you should just read the essay cause I can't really, uh, uh summarize mm -hmm. it as well, but basically saying, you know, we are creating these intense emotions and things through, through ritual. And in, in religious studies, we would call that collective effervescence, this kind of unique feeling that people get during intense religious ceremonies. But instead of lying to people and saying that's the Holy Spirit 
right? Or, or, mm. or you know, we, we've called up the ancestors and they're walking among us or whatever. We just are honest and we tell them that's you. You created that. You, you all did when you came here and you, you, you did this uh, uh, together. And so I think that increasingly this is probably what religion is, is going to look like. You know, there's um, a new area of research opening up on what's called invented religions, so these are these are religions like TST that are not purported to be the product of revelation, like God spoke to me, or ancient tradition, like this is a secrets kind of Wiccan ritual that predates Christianity. But just I made this up, you know. If I made this thing <laughs> up. If you think it's cool and you want to be on it with me, uh, 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 come along. And that kind of honesty didn't work in previous times for starting a new religion, but but now it seems like that's a viable way to do it. So what TST is doing now, it, it could become more and more normal looking yeah. uh, as things move forward. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. And you know, I, I whenever I talk to Christians, for example, about TST, I always try to talk about that and invented religions and and so on and so forth, and how that is a and yet how it is still deeply authentic for us and and not satirical, not ironic. And uh, they just find that, like, deeply offensive. <laughs> they find the idea of invented religions just deeply, in, uh, deeply offensive and kind of eye-roll. But the way I describe it to people, the way I described it on a previous podcast with John Steingard was— I, you know, when when someone has a deep, profound religious experience, you know, if say someone is an evangelical Christian and they believe they talk to God and they can have, you know, really profound, transformative and emotional experiences. I believe that those experiences are real. I just don't know if the if the if what they believe the source to be is real and i believe that i can also have that experience even though i don't believe it and that's exactly the way it is for me within tst as a satanist where it's like i i believe that i have just as much access to for lack of a better term mystical experience as someone who believes in the supernatural, because I think mystical experience is uh, kind of a universal thing. I, I think it's just something that's kind of hardwired into the human brain. And, you know, maybe that differs from person to person. Maybe there are some people who are more hardwired for it. Maybe there are some people who are less. I don't know. That's kind of my pet theory right now. But for me, I feel like I can still access that religious ecstatic experience even without believing it's literally true. And that, that to me, and so invented religion is not derogatory, it's just honesty. It's just an honest statement that, that, I'm, that I'm part of this made-up thing, that it is real but not true. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, I, I have my students read uh, the book The Varieties of Religious Experience by William James, who was mm. a, a psychologist in the 19th century. And James is most interested in religious experiences. Uh, and it's a great book if you want to kind of theorize experiences, right? And so some of the things that I, I want my students to take away from that is well, one of the things James says is uh, our normal waking consciousness is only one special type out of many different types of consciousness, Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and of course, you know, if I have college students who are you know, doing mescaline or something, that's that's very interesting to them. 
Um, but it also is kind of a reminder of, you know, people, people do have weird experiences sometimes. It doesn't mean that they're all um, uh, mentally ill or that there's, there's something sort of unique and supernatural uh, happening to them. And, and James also tries to keep the emphasis on let's just interpret this experience and what it means to the people who had it. And let's, let's um, get rid of, or in religious studies, we would say bracket out whether this is caused by their neurons misfiring for some reason or some kind of supernatural intervention. And let's just study the experience for, for what it is. Mm. So I'm, I have your book right here and I'm shuffling through it because honestly, I did not have the time to take as many rigorous notes for this episode as I normally do because I'm now on uh, the TST ordination council and the devil's work is lots of Zoom calls. And so I, I've like been doing Zoom calls and I've not had time today. Um, but there's one particular section of your book that I found really, really interesting about uh, Paulo... How do you say this? Paulo Mayambe? Yeah, Paulo Mayambe. Yeah, Paulo Mayambe. And this kind of gets to pushing or or expanding our understanding of religion or what is acceptable in discourse about religion. And I just found this incredibly fascinating how uh, you talk about how in your book about how you were studying Paulo Mayambe and you were learning more about it, and then you were at a pluralism event at Harvard, and how you just had this deep-seated feeling that al- although people there would never deny that Paulo Mayambe was not—people there would not deny that Paulo Mayambe was a real religion, you couldn't imagine— a representative of Paulo Mayambe kind of being on this tolerant, pluralistic panel about interfaith dialogue. Could you talk some about that? Because I just found that whole section fascinating. And how does that relate to TST? Yeah, so, uh, well, it relates to TST because, you know, TST, in my opinion, gave the ultimate test of how, you know, tolerant and pluralistic Harvard is by trying to hold a black mass there. And yes. as, as far as I'm concerned, um, Harvard flunked their test. Yeah, you know? I agree. Uh, um, with, with the exception of one Jesuit priest named Francis X. Clooney, uh, who actually tried to understand what this was, um, nobody was interested in figuring out uh, uh, what it was or, or really thinking about um, their theory of pluralism or, or free speech. It was just, well, these people are Satanists, so this is obviously... Uh, some performance of of, of hate, um, but I'm a graduate of, of Harvard Divinity School. I received a Master of Theological Studies there. It's traditionally a Unitarian school, so there are still a lot of people there training for um, the Unitarian uh, ministry, hmm. um, and so it's 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 stereotyped as being very um, very liberal, um, very kind of inclusive. Some other graduate programs in religion would say not super rigorous. <laughs> as far as um, <laughs> a theory and things like that. But, you know, and of course I was involved with a, a project out of um, Harvard Green School called the Pluralism Project. So pluralism was something everybody talked about. Um, and yet there was this sense of pluralism just meant don't be mean to people on purpose. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think all Muslims are terrorists, so I'm a pluralist, right? I, I, I don't think Buddhists are going to hell, so I'm a, I, I'm a pluralist. <laughs> and... You know, and, and so we were just sort of patting ourselves on the back. And I think that actually coexisting with people who truly do not see the world the way you do and never will 
is a lot harder than a lot of my fellow um, graduate students um, uh, thought that it was. So I took a class called uh, Afro-Atlantic Religions with Lauren Matori, and uh, he was talking uh, about Palamayombe. And I, again, I don't claim to be an expert on, on Palamayombe. I'm sure there's, that there are listeners who are practitioners. I don't mean to speak for you. You know more about this than I do. But, but he would talk about you know, practitioners of, of this religion living in um, you know, low-income neighborhoods in Boston, and they would have these cauldrons with um, dead animals in them and things like this, and spirits that they uh, would summon or basically send on missions uh, and, and things like this. Um, and I just thought, you know, if, if these people at Harvard knew anything about this religion, they, they wouldn't be able to stomach it. Yes. Right. I mean, this goes against all of their unstated ideas that they'll never just openly say about, well, when I say something is a religion, I mean, you know, the, the, the following things. Um, and so there has recently been some work. Um, I, I have a long quote in the book from Robert Orsi, who I met at Harvard, um, to try to tease out what people mean when they say true religion or they say spirituality. Um, and and it's, so Palomayombe doesn't doesn't meet any of those things. Um, and, and of course, the Palomayombe doesn't care. Palomayombe doesn't want to go to Harvard and, and be in some interfaith <laughs> ceremony or something like that. But when TST actually tried to do this, tried to kind of come in from out of the cold, not only did uh, uh, Harvard sort of not think that TST was worth including, but they didn't think about it at all. Yeah. And in fact, reading statements from the Diocese of Boston they were literally encouraging people not to think about it, right? They were literally saying things like, do not let Satanists tell you what a black mass is. Yeah. Right, because they don't they don't know what a black mass is. I, the Bishop of Boston, know what a black mass <laughs> is, right? I thought that's demented, right? And, yes. And, it's, it's, and, and Lucian Greaves pointed this out, but it's deeply ironic that, you know, when Catholics arrived in this country, uh, they were seen as un-American, and papists and superstitious, and it was only because of the idea of freedom of religion that Catholics were able to um, establish a presence in cities like Boston. You know, mm. the Puritans hated Catholics, right? Yes. <laughs> the ones who founded uh, uh, Boston. So uh, to me, I saw these, these Catholics just kind of pulling the ladder up behind them in, in a real way, right? Mm. Um, there was a very famous, or well, I, I, to it made a lot of impact on me that a, a Catholic student wrote an article in the Harvard Crimson basically saying, uh, I don't believe in freedom of religion anymore if this means the Satanists can have a, a, a black mass. And I, I just thought, if that's how easily you're going to throw away freedom of religion, you know, is <laughs> a, a reenactment of a black mass by the cultural studies group in the Harvard Extension Club, you're going to throw away uh, a foundational part of the First Amendment over that? Yes. It's so sad. Yeah. No, I I so appreciate everything you're saying, because on the one hand, I've seen exactly what you're talking about, how easy it seems for people where it's like the moment, the moment, a little bit of uh, a a little bit of uh, religious diversity pressure is applied. It just they just collapse and kind of forfeit these foundational principles of western democracy like the, these foundational princ principles of civilization to help keep you know a cosmopolitan society running just how readily they throw them away and i've always been stunned by that like i've read articles from 
you know, Fox and Charisma and just on and on, all of these places of people saying, well, because this religious expression is too far, I'm, I no longer support religious freedom. If this is what religious freedom means, then I can't support it. And then on the more liberal side, and by the way, these are not comparisons at all. I think one is definitely much scarier and more toxic than the other. So these, these are not comparisons. But in my experience within kind of the more progressive Christian liberal setting, I've, I always got this sense that the perception was of these very pleasant, of interfaith dialogue and interreligious dialogue and plurality just being these very edifying and profound and pleasant conversations between, like, Thomas Merton and the Dalai Lama. And you know what I'm saying? You know, just like these priests and these Buddhist monks sitting around in robes and having a a productive and illuminating conversation about religion. And that's just not the way it is <laughs> a lot of the time. It's like interreligious dialogue is hard. It is, it can be brutal because it really does mean fundamentally clashing worldviews sometimes. Like it sometimes means worldviews that have nothing, almost nothing to do with each other sometimes. And, and yeah, I so I just so appreciated that section in your book about that because it resonated with my own experience in progressive Christian settings where there's all this talk about plurality, but then there were there would be all of these religious expressions that were just too spooky for them. <laughs> and that was never kind of that was never publicly acknowledged or consciously acknowledged. You talked some in the book about, I think I'm going to get the terminology wrong, but first order and second order religions. Am I getting that right? Kind of the Categories. first. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or it, it's like there's, there are the, or the world religions model where, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there was a famous um, event in Chicago in 1893 called the world parliament of religions. And they were very certain when they when they organized this that there's ten religions in the world. That's how many religions there there are. <laughs> um, and then they like rang a church bell like ten times and and stuff like this. And it was very interesting to see which you know traditions got uh, chosen as among the ten. And basically, it was you know if you had a big population, especially a population that was an economic and military power. So, for example, Shinto was one of the ten. Right. Because um, Japan had begun to have a real uh, a real modern military by, by the end of the 19th century. Um, and if you had a big book, right, that you could send to some translator in, in Germany. Um, but no, um, you know, Native American religions were, were represented. No um, uh, indigenous religions of, of Asia or Africa were, were represented. They certainly knew about the Mormons in 1893. The Mormons were not invited uh, 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 to this. So, so there were all these groups that they knew existed and they knew were like religions, right? But they just said, no, 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 it's this 10, right? And we're super inclusive because we, we, we have the 10. So some scholars have said, you know, there seems to be uh, a two-tiered model of, of religion, right? So if you are kind of like Christianity in important ways, and if you're so old and so big that kind of you're not going anywhere, we can't just sort of imagine you'll just, just go away, 
mm-hmm. um, then you get to be a world religion and you're in the top tier. Everything else, you know, Scientology, um, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses, all, all the stuff that I study, that goes in the bottom <laughs> tier. And traditionally, Satan has kind of Satanism has kind of represented the very bottom yes. of the bottom tier, right? There was a great essay saying, you know, the Pluralism Project has these directories of religious uh, communities of different religions throughout the, the country, which is a great resource in a lot of ways. But there's no listings for Satanism, mm-hmm. right? Um, so Satanists don't get listed in the Pluralism Project uh, a, a directory. Is that and still I, the I, case, by the way, just out of curiosity? I, I believe it is. And I mean, in fairness, before TST, there weren't a lot of like, you know, uh, brick and mortar buildings associated with uh, with Satanism that had an address or something. It's, and and, you and know, so... we just had this horrible arson in Poughkeepsie, New York. Uh, so maybe those shouldn't be listed on a website uh, uh, somewhere. And uh, uh, they they're also just also incredibly unpleasant as well. Right, <laughs> right. It, it, exactly. But it, it's true that I've met lots of people who consider themselves very, um, you know, very uh, pluralistic and very tolerant and so forth. And if I even mention the Satanic Temple, they they get genuinely afraid. You know, the, the, the especially if I tell them, well, it's not a joke. They're actually they're kind of serious about, about Satan, right? As, yes. as a figure, they, they get really afraid. Um, and you know, uh, that's partly by design, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, Malcolm Jerry latched on to Satan because it is such a powerful lever in our culture. It's such a powerful, uh, a, a symbol, but you know, that I think that this is never, uh, people don't know that they think these ways, you know, mm. this is like the, the deep structure of how their, their brains work around things like religion and it's very hard to get them to actually look at this and, and kind of see their own uh, unstated assumptions about so-called good religion and, and bad religion. It's just that's really funny because I've told my studio assistant uh, at the podcast network when she sends out emails to get guests for my show, especially really high profile guests, to really lean into the Satan like like sacred tension is a satanic podcast and has a large audience within the satanic temple community and 9 times out of 10 it gets people because people want to come on because they're so curious about it and most of the time we'll do the interview and then once i stop recording they'll suddenly pivot to satan and be like so what what is this <laughs> like and so i'm using it as like a hook now to get high profile guests because it is very it is a powerful symbol it gets people it makes them very curious or it terrifies them like you were just describing and to kind of recap what i was just hearing you say there's kind of the top tier religions and those are the quote-unquote world religions and those are the ones those are like the buddhists and the muslims and the christians and so on and so forth and they they enjoy kind of this venerable status but then there's this whole world of kind of nether religions that aren't really recognized as um having the same level of authority or religiousness as uh, as those first-tier religions. And TST and Satanism as a whole is part of that. And so by, by TST kind of rising out of, the, out of the sewers to kind of have a time in the sunlight, it's upending that 
that subconscious structure that we have of first tier and second tier religions. And it's forcing people to consider all the myriad of ways people have religious expression that might not be recognized in the dominant narrative. Am I, am I hearing you right about that? That's, that's right. So I mean, that's, that's what I find so interesting about TST is that they just sort of refuse to be put in this kind of sideshow yes. uh, <laughs> a, a category, right? They're, they're just not having it. And so it's, it's forcing people to question their assumptions. And so you find statements like, well, I don't believe in religious freedom anymore, which again, to me, sounds like thing you never did. Yes. Right. Talk, talk is cheap. Or I find statements like, well, the Constitution, when it says freedom of religion, it only means good religions. It doesn't mean evil religions, right? So, that, so that's an attempt <laughs> to kind of drag that two-tier model of religion into the First Amendment, where, of course, it's, it's meaningless, because good and, and evil religions are almost entirely subjective. Right? I mean, you know, there are forms of religion that advocate terrorism, but, but barring that, hmm. um, lots of religions are, are perceived as evil um, by, by, by certain people. So that's kind of meaningless. Right. Right. And so a lot of that second tier, would you say a lot of those second tier religions would be perceived as either cults or dangerous in some way? Like, is that a feature of second tier religions? They're, they're either perceived as, uh, dangerous or, uh, misguided or, or, or people just simply don't even know that, that they exist, right? And if they hear about them, they, they sort of uh, uh, blow it off. And the irony is those are the groups that need constitutional protection yes. for their practices, <laughs> right? Yep, yep exactly. Um, you know, I mean, the irony is, is the moment a, a Christian is in a situation where they're saying, well, I really need this as part of my religious belief— Almost invariably, they are practicing some form of Christianity where people are like, well, that sounds like a cult, right? What, <laughs> what, 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 what is that? You know, um, you know, here in Texas, I teach the Branch Davidian tragedy, mm. uh, which I think is a classic um, a, a example of that. Um, there were Bible scholars who said, I can, I can reason with David Koresh. You just have to know your Bible better and, and talk about this interpretation. And the FBI chose to listen to uh, psychologists who just said this this guy is nuts, right? Mm. Just just do a dynamic uh, entry with 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 tanks and, and tear gas. Um, and again, I, th I think if if David Gresh had been the right kind of Christian, he would not have been viewed that way, and they would not have used the the weaponry and the tactics uh, that they did. But um, because mm. of the the kind of strangeness of the Branch Davidians, it was put in this this the second tier. Mm. That's really interesting. Have what kind of shit have you gotten? I mean, maybe I shouldn't assume that you've gotten shit, but I can imagine that you have as a religious scholar who has written a book on TST. Like, what has your personal experience been like kind of after you started studying Satanism? Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I'm kind of waiting for the other shoe to, to drop um, because I am at a public university and the fact that I um, research Satanists, that I've brought uh, members from the San Marcos chapter to talk to my students. Mm -hmm. um, and I was very clear. I said, you know, you are here so my students can study you, right? <laughs> you're here to you're, exhibit you're on the A. Table, not here to, to indoctrinate anybody. Um, but but I could that, that lends itself to kind of this narrative of, you know, I'm, I'm teaching cultural Marxism or I'm trying to destroy all that is, is, is good and, and, and wholesome in, in my students. 
Uh, but so far, nothing like that has happened. Um, I have heard there are sort of rumors somewhere online that I am a crypto Satanist. Uh, I am okay. not, for, for, for the record. Um, and I don't know if that's because, you know, how could I say anything nice about Satanists unless I was one uh, uh, myself? Um, or if there's other things like, I, again, I think like a lot of people, I think the art of TST is really interesting. And I do have some TST art mm -hmm. uh, in my home, just like my wife who studies Tibet has Tibetan art. Of course. Know, in, in our home, right? Um, so, so, so that could be a, a factor. So far, it hasn't been too bad. I did a signing, a book signing at a Book People, um, which is the biggest independent bookstore in Austin. And I brought this uh, cardboard cutout of the Baphomet statue but to be behind me while I, I gave a talk. And uh, the, the bookstore said, you know, um, you know, here's your podium and here's where we're going to set you up. And, you know, you got about 30 minutes before you talk and you get a store discount if you want to browse a little bit. So I kind of wander around the store and this guy pulls over an employee and says, what is that? <laughs> do, do you know that's the devil? <laughs> As if I'm trying to imagine an employee who would not recognize, you know, the, the Baphomet. Uh, it's just, I don't know, you know, the author put it in, says, what is that doing here? He said, I know Austin is a liberal city, but, but come on. Um, and, and was just really filled with, uh, with, with kind of horror, right? Again, it's that kind of deep gut horror that some people have of, of, of Satan or, or, or Satanism. And so I, you know, at the talk, I said, I think this guy's going to give the store a really bad Yelp review tonight. So <laughs> you know, maybe buy a little extra merchandise or something to, uh, <laughs> uh, to make up for this. Uh, but so far, it's, it's been okay. And, and, and now, as of um, this fall, I actually have tenure um, here at Hooray! Texas State. Hooray! Right. So that gives me a little bit more freedom to, to do things like, like Satanism. Beautiful. Which I think is important and needs to be studied. Oh, as, as a Satanist, I wholeheartedly agree. Is it, uh, is it bad form to ask a religious scholar if they have a religious practice? Yeah, you know, Robert Orsi, he has a, he has a book called uh, Between Heaven and Earth, and, and he says something in that book like, anthropologists don't ever want to talk about the fact that they have sex with the people they study, and religious <laughs> scholars don't want to talk about the fact that they have a religion, um, which I think is a really funny comparison. But, you know, I am... Um, I am Catholic. Um, I tell people I'm Catholic. They immediately have a lot of assumptions depending on where they're coming from. Sure. Um, we know, although we know from surveys, that most American Catholics um, disagree with the, with the official church mm -hmm. stance on a lot of things. Uh, but you know, I was I was my wife and I were married um, uh, in the Catholic Church, and I had one conversation with a member from TST Austin, and he said, "Well, that's kind of weird. Like, why are you studying?" Satanists, like, are you even allowed to do that as a Catholic? And I said, well, Catholics kind of made up Satanists, you know, back in the day. Yes, so they did. Like watching your kids grow up. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's... All these Catholics in the 1500s hadn't made up all these nonsense stories about host desecrations and stuff. You guys wouldn't be here right now. So. That's brilliant. So now here you are tending on your children. See, right. Seeing how your religious children are doing. No, that's absolutely true. And I think it was uh, Ruben Van Lewich in um, Children of Lucifer who talks about attribution versus identification and how the history of Satanism is like this gradual transfer from at of attribution of, you know, the Catholic Church 
in the 1500s, you know, coming up with these appalling stories to demonize any kind of theological enemy they had, to then eventually people identifying as Satanists and taking on the identity. Yeah, and I have an article coming out in the journal Contemporary Religion, but I talk about the the fight over the Black Mass and that that um, the the Diocese of Boston almost needed Satanists to be diabolically evil. Yeah. Like, it was fine if Satanists existed, but Satanists can't be nice to people. Um, <laughs> because if Satanists are actually doing philanthropy and stuff like that, it's it's like it's an attack on their entire understanding of how the universe works. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so um, I, I do see... Uh, TST as doing this kind of, you know, jujitsu move in terms of taking that thing that you define yourself in in distinction to, right, and then uh, uh, turning it around in this really kind of radical uh, way. And and I'm interested in all the kind of mental gymnastics that the opponents of TST have, have done to convince themselves, well, that there can't be such a thing as a good Satanist. So either these people aren't really good or they aren't really Satanists or, or maybe somehow both. Um, but they they can't be what the evidence would, would seem to indicate that they are. I've seen so many variations of that because I get that all the time in my personal life where people will ask me, so do you do like sacrifices? And it seems sincere. Like these are people who know me, who either work with me or they're friends or whatever. And, and it's like, and it's almost like they're, doing this interview to see if I'm actually evil or not. And some of them even seem kind of disappointed when I tell them that, no, I don't. <laughs> it's it's like this breaking of the narrative of evil surrounding Satanism, and people almost seem disappointed. People seem disappointed that I'm not evil. It's really bizarre, and it's a really, really funny experience that I just keep having. Yeah, and I mean, Francis X. Clooney was, was um, he, he would answer my emails about the Harvard Black Mass. None of the other Catholic priests who spoke publicly about it would, would answer my emails. But one of the things he said was, you know, he said, I don't think that TST is deliberately being evil. He, he did not deny the possibility that there could be supernatural consequences to having a Black Mass, but he didn't mm-hmm. seem too concerned about that. But he did say, you know, if you turn kind of spiritual evil into a joke, you kind of end up disenchanting the entire world, right? And then there's kind of, we're in this sort of moral uh, vacuum, right? Good and evil, and everything is just a big joke. It, it leads to, to nihilism. And I discussed this with uh, with Malcolm Jerry, and, and he, you know, took issue with that. And he said, no, I, I believe in justice, justice and compassion. Those are my transcendent values. Um, I, I can make fun of devils and, and angels and gods and, and still have a, a moral cosmology. And, and that's what our critics don't really understand. That's really interesting because kind of going back to my previous life in the gay Christian world, back when I was advocating for LGBT inclusion within Christianity, and that's kind of how I first came onto the scene as a content creator back in 2012. One of the things that, and I went through this whole process myself, where homosexuality was seen as, it was almost like a, a sim, it was a symbol of uncreation or a symbol of evil. It's like it was written for, for a lot of conservative Christians. It was written into the universe, into like the DNA, into the symbolic code of the universe that homosexuality was fundamentally 
evil and against the will of God and kind of an act of uncreation. That was a term that I heard from some theological mm. scholar, that it's uncreation, unraveling kind of the core DNA. And if we allow gay marriage or if we allow gay leaders in the church, then it would just, it would cause, it's like, it would be introducing like a, a gene mutation into the body and it would, and the whole, all of creation would just unravel or become distorted. And that's really kind of how they talked about it. I, as I think about Satanism and these conceptions of good and evil and these conceptions of what evil is and, and symbolically, you know, the symbol of Satan and the symbol of, and so on, it's, it's like, it's similar. It feels similar where it, a lot of people seem to have this notion that to to shift or recreate or reframe the symbol of Satan is in some way to just massively unravel the universe and to introduce kind of these malignant mutations into the order of creation. And, um, you know, it's almost like this Jordan Peterson kind of substrate of symbol, and it's always absolute, and it always means the same thing. And if we suddenly say that Satan can be a symbol of good, well, then that somehow undermines everything. And it, I don't know, it, it's just something I've noticed. It's something that's really, really interesting to me. And I think I, I became inoculated against that through the homosexuality debates in the church that I went through. Um, but I, it rhymes for me. It seems really similar to like the homosexuality debate within Christianity. Yeah, you know, I, I mentioned, um, you know, this this argument that human beings are not like beavers. We don't, we, we we don't, we're not we're not born with instructions for what we're supposed to be doing. We have to make it up somehow using culture. But but we, you know, sociologists like Peter Berger, who's a very famous sociologist of religion, had said you know, humans are always trying to convince themselves that we're not the ones who made up all these rules, right? <laughs> yes. That this is not all just sort of arbitrary stuff that, that we've decided. Because to actually face the, the, the chaos of, of existence head-on is, is terrifying for, for most people. Mm. Um, and so uh, we, will, we will go to great lengths to convince ourselves this, this order of the world is the only order that there could ever be, including making up stories about Satanists eating babies or you know, demonic possession and stuff. If that will maintain uh, the sense that, that this is the way things are and it can't ever be questioned and it couldn't possibly be uh, a different way. Hmm. So where do you see TST going? I'm going to ask you to be Nostradamus for a second and to make some predictions. If you don't feel like you can, that's totally fine. But what do you see in terms of the future for TST and kind of the broader conversation surrounding religion? So, I mean, some people, you know, if I, if I see them at, you know, religion conventions, like, so that, that TST thing you're on about, uh, once, uh, once Lucian Greaves and Malcolm Jerry die, that's over, right? Um, and this is this this is a big um, you know point of of theorizing in, in new religious movements is what happens when uh, the founders of a new religion are are removed from from the picture. Sometimes the movement goes on. Um, Christianity is a great example of that, but sometimes it just sort of disbands and and fizzles away. So I don't know what the future of TST as an organization is going to be. I do think it has a lot more infrastructure than, than when I first began studying it, right? Of course, it has a national council. It's working on ordination. It has um, uh, IRS status. So there's a lot more uh, uh, going on. What I definitely think will happen is we are going to see, you know, Satanism for the last 
40 years has been mostly defined by Anton LaVey, right? Uh, and so I think that this is kind of the end of uh, Levian Satanism being kind of the, the, the gold standard for Satanism. Church of Satan is going to love hearing you say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, to, to be clear, I think LaVey left an enormous mark. I don't think that TST would have been possible without I agree. LaVey. I think that LaVey's ideas of ritual as psychodrama are extremely important for you know the way people like Lucian Greaves think about a, a ritual but I think that historically sympathizing with the devil has been a progressive left-wing phenomenon going back to the romantics and I think mm. that LaVey was a bit of an anomaly of that I wonder if LaVey had not been doing this in San Francisco in the 60s, if he would not have been so conservative in some of the things that that he said. So I think think we're going to see a lot more kind of political left Satanism. I think we're going to see a lot more politically engaged Satanism. I mean, LaVey just wasn't very interested in, in, in politics, or at least he wouldn't do anything to kind of advance um, some sort of political uh, agenda. And whatever happens to TST as an organization, I think that we are now seeing uh, this milieu of um, sort of politically left, socially engaged, satanic organization. So I was working on my book in 2018 when there was kind of a shakeup and a lot of TST chapters uh, broke away. You know, those those people didn't who left TST, whatever the reasons for leaving, they didn't renounce Satanism. Yes. You know, if anything, they got even more dedicated, right? But they said, I don't like the way that TST was doing it. I want to keep doing it in my own way, and I'm going to form Crossroads Assembly, or I'm going to form, you know, all these other little uh, uh, organizations. Um, so I think that those kinds of things are definitely still going to be around in the future. I also think that there's just been this massive cultural impact from Satanism, where, like, the number of Satanic t-shirts that I see is, like, stunning. <laughs> like, the number of print Satanic t-shirts and just, like, Satanic iconography from people who aren't self-identified Satanists. It, like, it feels like Satan is having a moment. It feels like, in popular culture, Satan is is now more present or more of a symbol. And I wonder how much of that is due to the influence of the Satanic Temple. Like, I wonder how much of that is due to the iconography kind of catching on in the broader culture. What do you think about that? Yeah, you know, I I, uh, I listened to uh, another podcast called The Last Podcast on, on the Left. I so love I'm... them. They're my favorite podcast, yeah. But, but you know, Henry Zabrowski is nominally a satanist in some sense i'm not really sure what what satanism means to him but he'll say all the time on the show hail satan like that's his his sign off and Mm -hmm. i have a a poster he signed for me and it just says hail satan on it and i've (laughs) i've heard people call the show and he'll ask them to say hail satan and they'll 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 say it and i think that you know i don't know what hail satan means anymore Right. right. Yes. It used to mean I think it basically used to mean I am a I am not only sort of a metalhead, but I'm a true metalhead and, and, and you aren't. And I'm transgressive and, and you should actually be a little bit afraid of me. Um, and, and now I don't think it has any of that meaning at all. I think it means more, I think, for myself or mm-hmm. I'm 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 a little edgy, but I'm a, a nice person or I'm, <laughs> I'm annoyed by certain things. Um, so it's it's become kind of a a, a marker of a, a totally different group of associations and, and affiliations, um, and I think that's likely to to, to continue. 
Um, my students at Texas State, they all loved The Witch. They thought yes. The Witch was great. And I see all of these, you know, memes about Black Phillip and Let's Live Deliciously, uh-huh. um, which I see is, as a, of a piece with all of this as, as, as well. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. We are seeing um, a, a, a big shift in Satan's role in, in pop culture. And, you know, maybe it's a restoration to the era before the Satanic Panic. You know, we always forget that before hmm. the Satanic Panic in the 80s, little children dressed as devils for Halloween. You know, it wasn't this like horribly scary thing that, that we were just dreading all the time. Satan was kind of a goofy guy mm-hmm. uh, in, in the 60s and 70s. So maybe this is kind of what we're seeing now is, in a sense, natural. Right. And and, and being terribly afraid that that daycare providers were Satanists was sort of the historical anomaly. Because I hope that's true. Yeah, I hope that's true, too. And, you know, that's actually kind of reassuring that maybe we're getting to a state culturally where satan might not be a big deal (laughs) like that that might actually be great i don't know maybe it is actually pre-80 satanic panic and like the next satanic panic with QAnon is just going to explode onto the scene or something but yeah so before we wrap up do you have a few more minutes do you have a bit more time i i wanted to give you some time to plug your book on demonology that just came out recently Great. Yeah. So I did a book for uh, Penguin Classics, um, which is very exciting for me because that's a book that, you know, is in actual bookstores and uh, is, is, is paperback and, and doesn't cost an arm and a leg to, to buy. Um, Penguin Classics approached me uh, because one of the things that I study is, is exorcism. And they, they did a whole series of basically readers of kind of classic texts. And so they did the, the Penguin Book of the Undead, the Penguin Book of Witchcraft, the Penguin Book of Hell. Uh, and they asked me to do a Penguin Book of, of Exorcisms. And I agreed to do that. And of course, it's, it's a lot easier to edit a reader than to write an original uh, a book. But I wanted it, the, the book to have some things that you couldn't find anywhere else mm. um, or, or that um, would, would, would be hard to find. Um, so there are some kind of classic uh, theological uh, texts, you know, your Thomas Aquinas and things like that in there uh, describing uh, a, a possession. But there are also things like um, I had um, uh, Hadith describing Hadith or stories about the Prophet Muhammad of Muhammad performing an exorcism. Hmm. And I had a grad student translate that from the Arabic. I have... Um, a court testimony from a murder trial in Sudan where someone um, killed someone in the course of an exorcism and was trying to explain to a British judge, you know, what jinn spirits are and why he should not be found uh, uh, guilty. Huh. Um, so there's a lot of neat little things like that that I was able to include. I tried to include things from different cultures. So there is a, an account of a uh, an exorcism in Haiti by a, a voodoo uh, priestess. There's an account uh, of a Native American exorcism that happened in the 70s in, in the Northwest. Um, and the last uh, document uh, concerns an exorcism that was done in Indiana in, I think, 2012. Um, and it led to this whole media phenomenon, if you Google, like 200 Demons House or, 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 or whatever. Um, oh, is that, is, that the, uh, is that the thing that the, the Ghost Hunter bros, did they make a movie about that? Yeah, Zach like, Baggins. Zach Baggins made a really did, terrible did a movie about it's, that. It's mo- mostly night vision footage of him in this house at night yelling at nothing. <laughs> yes. And, uh, <laughs> and then he demolishes the house at, at the end. But I was able to contact the priest who did that exorcism. 
And he, you know, in the Catholic Church doing exorcism, you have to write a letter to your bishop and get permission to, to do it. And that letter got leaked. And I said, you know, as someone who studies church history, I've never seen a letter like this before. I've known that they exist. And I can I publish this because this actually has real value for church history. And I thought he was going to fight me on it, or but he just says, yeah, sure, <laughs> <laughs> you can publish it. So um, I think that's that's a really neat document to have as as well, um, just sort of getting to see the perspective of just kind of a, a generic sort of small town priest um, trying to make sense of something like a, a house supposedly haunted by 200 demons. Huh. What was what struck you as interesting about it? Like what stood out to you in that document? Well, I think that, you know, first of all, it is a reminder that um, a, a lot of people who are doing exorcism are not like these sort of Bob Larson figures where they're trying to get rich and famous or something like that. I, I think he really believed that this was someone who needed his help mm. and that he had a duty as a, as a priest to, to, to help them. The family was not Catholic. And he was genuinely freaked out. You see that. And he's describing objects floating around the room and things and explaining all this to, 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 to the bishop. Um, and also he has this unusual theory uh, because the police got involved. The police dug up the basement of the house. I guess they thought they would find a dead body or, or something. They didn't, but they found a bunch of just random detritus that you would probably find anywhere if you dug underneath the house. And he, the priest is kind of trying to put on his CSI hat and think of what might have happened here, right? And he's like, well, we mm. found candy wrappers. So maybe somebody was doing some kind of necromantic ritual and they they were eating these candy wrappers for energy and, and you know, <laughs> really yeah he's making this whole story and, and you're like that's well, you that's know. what i do that's what i do when i do necromantic magic <laughs> right. i have to eat candy bars but but then you know you think at the same time that he has no training in in forensics or anything like that you know what's what's he supposed to do with, with the situation <laughs> right he's so beyond right um, anything that a parish priest is trained to to, to do so I think some people, you know, thought this was kind of um, something to be ridiculed. I actually found myself feeling kind of sympathetic to yeah. this priest who got the random phone call that we need an exorcism. That's really fascinating. Uh, and what's the name of the book again? It's just called The Penguin Book of Exorcisms. Beautiful. Well, everyone should go buy The Penguin Book of Exorcisms, and I will actually probably buy it too because I need another spooky thing to have on my coffee table. Also, you mentioned Bob Larson, the show Ono, Ross, and Carrie. Are you familiar with them? Is that the Teenage Exorcist, or is that something different? Oh, no, this is very different. Uh, Ono, Ross, and Carrie, I've actually had them on the show. They are in the middle of an investigation into Bob Larson, where they go through Bob Larson's training, like exorcism school training program, and they have this multi-episode series on it, and it's fantastic. Oh, everyone, wow. Everyone should check that out, too. Yeah, you would probably find it really interesting. You should definitely, yeah. definitely check them out. If uh, people want to find you, send you uh, stories of their own demonic possession and ask for help with their, with their own uh, demons who are haunting them, or tell you about their own experiences with satanic ritual abuse where can they do that right well <laughs> um if you if you google joseph laycock you, sh you should find my my web almost immediately with with contact information um i do not help with those emails i sometimes give people a domestic violence hotline good uh, if it sounds very seriously but but you know i, I don't i don't intervene if people think that there's there's demons unless uh they say you know my boyfriend attacked me or something like that um, but but for anything else, yeah, you can find my, my email address on there, and I, I usually answer emails. Beautiful. 
All right. Well, that is it for this show. As always, the music is by The Jelly Rocks and Eleven D Seven. You can find them on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. This episode is edited by either me or Llama Boy, the new intern for Sacred Tension. And this show is written, produced by me, Stephen Bradford Long. As always, hail Satan. Thanks for listening. Like to better galactical